Creative Babble. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everyone. It's me, Javier. This week, I am joined by my friend Jordan with the Hacked Podcast, and he's going to help me out because I have a head cold. (laughs) I sound terrible. And I've been listening to the Hacked podcast and one episode in particular that I think you are all going to love. So Jordan is allowing me to play his episode of Hacked. And Jordan, welcome to Pretend. Tell, tell us about Hacked and, and the episode that we're about to listen to. Oh, man, I'm very happy to be here. And for what it's worth, I think you sound excellent. You have like a smoky timbre. It works for That's you, right, man. Yeah. It's a radio voice. Yep. Um, yeah, thank you for also sharing Hacked with, with all your listeners. Big fan of Pretend. Hacked is a, it's a show kind of about tech and all the weird things people do with technology and people hacking stuff together and hacking it apart. Um, it's about that kind of human side of technology. And I think this story is a, uh, is a pretty good example of that. But this episode in particular, (laughs) it's, it's such a great crossover with, with my world of con artists and deception because the Mm -hmm. subject the subject that you're talking about in this episode is hitmen. And now this is something that, you know, we all know what a hitman is. Like we've watched mm-hmm. it in the movies and, and it's become part of, you know, like this lore that, that, you know, you could just hire a hitman and they'll take somebody out. But it, the reality is that hiring a hitman is almost impossible, right? Like it, it's very uncommon. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's, how impossible it is in the real world. I, I don't really know much about hitmen in the real world, yeah. but I do know that there's this story that if you were to go onto the dark web, onto that right seedy corner of the internet, there's there's just hitmen down there somewhere waiting to do you know assassinations around the world. And this story is about uh, a true crime writer, a cybercrime writer named Eileen Ormsby, who started pulling on that thread. And it led her to this website, almost like an e-commerce platform for these hitmen. And uh, what she found on the far side of that website, we we knew we had to make an episode about it. Yeah, it's like hitmen as a service, right? You go here, you hire you a hitman, and but but what's great about this episode, guys, is that not only is it about hitmen, but it's really about uh, a man, you know, pretending to have this service that doesn't really exist. But there are so many little twists and turns, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Jordan, what do you say? Let's just play the episode? I think we jump right in. Let's, I think we, uh, we catch you on the other side. Let's do it. And for all of you who are listening, while you're listening to this episode of Hacked, the Hitman episode, go ahead and subscribe to Hacked. Get it wherever you're listening to podcasts right now. It's excellent. If you love Thank you know, you. cybersecurity type episodes, this is this is a podcast for you. So let's go ahead and... Let's play the show. A few years ago, a writer named Eileen Ormsby started hearing these rumors. The first places I saw it was on Reddit and Quora. 
So um, Core is like a, a question and answer site. Uh, Reddit is is like a um, you know social platform. And on Reddit, it was just um, posts in the relevant dark web subreddits. Rumors about these spookiest figures in all of internet folklore. Saying, oh, you know, um, none of the old Hitman sites were real, but I've just come across a real one. Dark Web Hitman. Ormsby is a cybercrime writer, so when she bumped into this rumor, she started following it. And it led to a website for something called the Besa Mafia. As long as there have been stories about unseemly, hard-to-find corners of the internet, there have been stories that you can find along with the drugs and the weapons that are for sale there. Internet hitmen. So while this wasn't the first time Ormsby had found a site like this... The difference with this one was um, it was a much flashier sort of site. The old ones used to say, you know, I am this shadowy operative. Uh, I will come in anywhere in the world and kill someone for you. And they were very, very obviously fakes. This one, um, the Beast of Mafia site, rather than saying, you know, I'm, I'm this one shady, shadowy assassin, he'd, um, he'd offered to hook you up with a hitman in your area. And so um, instead of having people that are travelling all over the world, he'd say he'd had gang members and drug addicts in your area that he'd be able to hook you up with. They'd never have to know who they were talking to um, or who had hired them. So he was like a, an intermediary um, that would put you in touch with them. And, um, and yeah, and he, he claimed to have operatives all over the world. And the, the actual website was quite um, slick and efficient and, you know, it was um, like a, a, a really good e-commerce platform. This one was slick. It was a new business model and just sort of a different feeling to it. So Eileen kept digging. And she started writing and publishing content about that digging, about the Besa Mafia, following their footprint online. And Eileen wasn't the only person publishing stuff about them. There was actually a lot of blog content coming out, warnings about how dangerous they are. Besa Mafia had a pretty big footprint when Eileen showed up. But the deeper she dug, the more she discovered why there was all this content. There was a, some sort of Upwork site that accepted Bitcoin. And um, so he, he was posting on those sorts of sites just um, asking for these testimonials, like for people to write testimonials for him. There were ads offering to pay people to write these stories about how dangerous the Besa Mafia was. He started getting testimonials and the, the testimonials were nearly always of very bad people that, that uh, got killed, you know, the, the guy that raped my sister, that sort of stuff. Um, and I hired Besa Mafia and they did it right away for me. It was, you know, it was, it was pretty transparent, um, but it, it got the buzz going. Someone was running a marketing campaign, hiring folks to write content about how serious and scary a deal this was. So Eileen started writing about that, about this, you know, astroturfing campaign, promoting the online arm of an Albanian organized crime syndicate. And she started publishing those stories. And when she did, when she started publishing content, not about how scary the base of mafia is, but about how they're promoting themselves, and frankly, that it read to her like kind of a scam, someone from the Besa Mafia read those stories. 
and they did not like it. They started tracking me down and, and um, uh, sending me emails saying, you know, stop saying that we're a scam, we're the real thing. So now Eileen is in a back and forth with these people who claim to be Albanian organized criminals. We got into a really full-on correspondence back and forth and it started out with threats. But who she claimed probably weren't about where they go from there. The business model doesn't make sense. I never really thought about this idea that there are internet hitmen. I remember learning that the dark web existed, then that you could buy illegal stuff like drugs and weapons and even assassinations, and I knew the drug things was true, so I assumed the rest was too. But when I talked with Eileen, she pretty quickly pointed out to me that the economics of internet hitmen make zero sense. A person would never carry out a hit without getting paid. But once that person gets paid, anonymously, untrackably, irreversibly over the internet, to commit a crime, what is their motivation to carry out that crime? Because once they've paid, there is absolutely no incentive for that hitman to go out and carry out the hit. Zero incentive whatsoever, because no one knows who, who he is. He can't track him down. Whereas the, the drug dealer does have an incentive to, to send the drugs because he wants you repeat custom. Um, so that, that's why none of these, that's the, the basic reason why these other things don't work. What are you going to do? Report them for not killing someone for you? All you could do is leave a bad review. And they could clearly pay folks for good ones. Eileen didn't figure out that the Basa Mafia were scammers pretending to be internet hitmen. Pretty much all internet hitmen are scammers. Basa Mafia is just a slick one. And their victims, the real victims if you can call them that, are not assassination victims. They're the people trying to hire assassins. Who, like victims of most internet scams, just get strung along for as much money as possible until they are wrung dry. So when Eileen started publishing content about this weird new grift, the Basa Mafia reached out to her, first telling her to stop it right now, and then asking her if she wanted to help. Because who was more worth scamming? Who was less sympathetic a victim than people trying to hire hitmen. This is how internet hitmen are not really a thing. Here on Hacked. I'd already been looking at the Hitman sites right from the very beginning um, when I started reporting on the dark web. You can only go so far investigating whether or not internet Hitman are real before you bump into the same wall. And it's kind of structural to the whole scam. I even tried to, um, you know, engage a few of them. Eileen thought, what better way to see how this works than to pretend to want to hire an internet Hitman? She didn't want to, you know, even start putting out a hit on a real living person, just in case. But the person had to be real. So she says, I'll use the name of someone who's already passed. And she reaches out to some of these folks on the dark web, asking them... To murder someone that was already dead. Um, you know, so I'd, I'd send a photo and, and details of someone that was already dead and um, you know, ask them about it and see how far I got. 
but the structure of the scam is always kind of the same. All right, great. You want me to do the hit? Send me their name. Send me a photo and then send me the money. So unless you're willing to send that money, it kind of just ends there. And it was always just, you know, you had to, you got to a point where they just said, oh, you have to send money up front. And then it would, um, it'd stop because I wasn't interested in sending them any money. Her research could only ever go so far. So when Ormsby bumped into the Basa Mafia, there was this whole other way in. All that content that they were paying to have written about them. I used this term briefly in the intro, astroturfing. If you don't know it, it's an advertising term. It's play on grassroots, as in a grassroots group, a group of real people coming together to advocate or talk about something. Astroturfing is when you pretend something is grassroots and real and organic. It's astroturf because it's fake grass. Anyway, unlike most dark web assassin groups she tried writing about, the astroturfing campaign the base of mafia is doing was a great way in. She was able to start reading and researching these different posts they were putting up to try and build a, a sense of the architecture of this whole thing without butting up against that wall. Basa Mafia contracted two general kinds of content for their promotional efforts. First, she got the obvious stuff, the blog posts, the testimonials, the hype. Here's an abbreviated version of an ad from one of those content mills. This is something a freelance writer looking for gigs might have bumped into. Quote, I need fiction stories that are one page long and written in the style of a testimonial. These are fictional. You as a writer must imagine that you are a different person each time, and you need to write a story or testimonial about how someone did something bad to you. You wanted to take revenge, and you found some site on the deep web called Basa Mafia. You tried them, they did the job well for you, killing a person. So he'd get a freelancer to write sort of five blog posts, he'd pay them once, and then they'd write another hundred for him and he wouldn't pay them for any of those. Basa Mafia wanted people to write first-person stories about how they had hired the Basa Mafia. But the, the end of that ad is, is very interesting. It's their explanation to these writers about why they're paying for this content. And it's, according to them, to take down the Basa Mafia. Quote, The purpose of these fictional stories is that we are fighting Basa Mafia and want to get their site closed down. We want to shock the public and mass media to put pressure on the FBI to close their site. They provide real beating up and killing services, but their customers don't publish stories, so media doesn't bother with them. We need stories to shock the public and get pressure on the FBI to close Basa Mafia's site down. And then the brass tacks. Can you write fictional stories like this? You get paid $5 for each story. One page long, 500 words which I think is like a penny a word. It's not great. On the frequently asked questions section of Basin Mafia's site, uh, fact number 10, I'll just read it to you. Frequently asked question number 10, how do I know this is not a scam? Answer? Because we don't have any complaints on the internet even though we have been active a long time. Ultimately, these positive ratings they're paying for and the comments and the blog posts, they're how they manufactured this authenticity. So that's one half, the writers, the purported clientele. But that's only part of who they were hiring. The other half were the hitmen, air quotes. Say you're trying to scam someone into believing that you have a network of freelance hitmen at your disposal. How do you prove that you have all these very scary, dangerous criminals working for you? Idea number one, 
get folks to commit crimes and then film it. Okay. April 2016, this video pops up online, an amateur video of a car that's been set on fire. If you picture like the image identity verification post on Reddit or something, where like a person holds up a sheet of paper with their info and the data on it, it's kind of like that. But instead of proving their face, it's they're proving they set a car on fire. It's a photo of a burnt car and they're holding a piece of paper in front of it that says, gang member for Basin Mafia on Deep Web. It's proof, so to speak, that the Basin Mafia had hardcore criminals working for them because setting cars on fire is a crime. And that image goes immediately into circulation. It's, it's up on the deep web forums. It's just a lot of great PR, more proof of how real and scary BASA is. The question then is if they don't recruit assassins, who set that car on fire? Turns out if you successfully create the ruse of an organized crime syndicate online, the customers aren't the only people that are going to reach out. You will, weirdly enough, get folks supplying to work for you as hitmen. And so later on what he would do was give the, the people that were signing up as hitmen a test and the test would either be something like burn a car um, on video with a, a sign saying that you're doing it for Visa Mafia or graffiti in, um, you know, great big areas saying um, uh, advertising Visa Mafia. And that, that would be the, the tests that he would send out to would-be hitmen. Prove your mettle. Set a car on fire and take a photo holding a sign and then we'll talk. You use that photo for your marketing efforts and then you string that person along like all the rest. Same with the, the burning cars. He, he paid for the first burning car but then didn't pay for any more after that. Um, so, yeah, he was, I mean, he was ripping off everybody. That, you know, um, and he, he, he made good money. Picture this, a foggy evening, the whisper of secrets in the air, and an invitation to step back into the glamorous and mysterious 1920s. That's the backdrop of June's Journey, the game that's been keeping me glued to my phone lately. Instead of doom scrolling on social media, I am actually playing the part of June Parker, a daring detective with a personal mission to solve her sister's murder. And let me tell you, it is a roller coaster of emotions and puzzles. What's to love? Well, first of all, the thrill of hunting for hidden objects. I'm a sucker for these kinds of games. It's kind of like those books that we grew up with, but with a storyline that keeps thickening. Plus, the game takes place in New York to Paris, uncovering clues of scandalous family secrets that make you feel like a real detective. If you're ready for a dose of mystery, romance, and the glamour of the 1920s, June's Journey is waiting for you. Download it for free on iOS and Android, and let's see who cracks the case first. Let's get to who was behind all this, because Eileen pretty quickly figures it out. Eileen is writing about what she's finding. She's posting these stories to her blog, and eventually someone starts commenting on that blog. Oh, well, he was um, commenting on, on my blog constantly. And on her blog was her email. And, yeah, and then he started directly emailing me, and he just like write these absolute word salads of emails, like pages and pages of them. And he'd repeat himself an awful, an awful lot. But I think he was just so, I mean, he was um, pretty much, you know, your, your classic Nigerian scammer with the, the people that were signing up. So he was, you know, um, he, he was the prince that once you send me a little bit more money, then the hit will be taken out and a little bit more money, a little bit more money. 
Um, and so I think he knew that uh, persistence was, was key when dealing with anybody. And so he was persistent with me as well. Eileen says, this guy from this thing I'm writing about is now talking to me. And I'd very much like to interview this internet hitman grifter. So of course I'm going to talk with him. And, and I engaged. I, I wrote back to him because, uh, you know, I was trying to get him to give me interviews. I wanted, I wanted him to work with me on a, on a book. Um, so, you know, there, there was something in it for both of us, really. The guy she was corresponding with, he's the other big character in all this. His name was Yura. And Yura, Eileen was quickly piecing together was not the base of Mafia's PR guy. He was not the social media person who manned the emails and ran the online marketing and responded to rude blog posts. Yura was, at the time, probably the entire base of Mafia. This was his scam. I was working with a um, cybersecurity researcher in the UK by the name of Chris, and uh, Chris had, had determined that um, he believed that Yura was Romanian, came from Romania. And, um, you know, the, the little quirks of phrase, it was very obvious that he was, English was his second language. And it, the little quirks of phrase did point to him being Eastern European. So we sort of had that idea. And the speed of correspondence between Eileen and Yura starts to ramp up. We got into a really full-on correspondence back and forth and it started out with threats. Um, he was threatening me uh, to take down any articles that I wrote about him to stop stop writing about him. Euro was in the business of paying people to write about Basin Mafia as a promotional tool to scam people. So when it became clear that Eileen was not going to stop debunking their operation, you know, just calling it what it was. Uh, then it moved into sort of cajoling and saying, look, uh, he, when he admitted to me, I am a scam, we are, you know, I am scamming people, but the people that I am scamming want to carry out murders on other people. So isn't it a good thing that I'm doing this? So take, it, take down your articles. Uh, and just let me be, let me do my scam. And when it became clear to Yura that Eileen was not going to stop, he then proceeded into offering her a job. He said, oh, look, you're really good with words and um, my English is not so great, so could you perhaps, you know, rewrite my, my website? Um, and he said, you know, he had too many people to, to deal with and he said he'd pass on some of them to me and I could scam them. Um, so it, it went through this, this whole... Um, ups and downs. Our relationship went through a lot of ups and downs. And then it'd, it'd go back to him hating me and, and, and um, you know, wanting threatening me again. But his threats were very empty because I knew that he was a scam and didn't want to hurt anybody. Yura the hitman didn't want to hurt anybody because Yura was not an internet hitman. He was like a digital marketer for a very involved scam who clearly wanted to talk to someone about what he was doing whether it meant threatening her, asking her to help him. He just wanted to talk about the whole thing. And considering how illegal it was, who else could he talk to other than the tech true crime writer covering his scam? This is what I found with um, a lot of the, the drug dealers as well in my, in my work is part of it is they like having someone that they can tell the truth to and who they, they know is the person that they say they are because everyone on the dark web is just a name, a username, and you have no idea who's behind that username, whereas everyone knows who's behind my username. It's, you know, I'm very open about it. So uh, a lot of people do really like unloading on someone that they can trust is who they say they are um, and that they can actually, 
you know, because most, most of these people are hiding and they can't tell the people around them, talk to the people around them. They can't trust a lot of the people they work with. They can't tell their loved ones what they're doing. And so they, they really can unload. Yura isn't scary. He's not scary on the scale of hitmen, which this story is kind of about. He's no scarier than most internet scammers. But there are scary people in this story. Weirdly, it's Yura's victims. Because taken outside the context of this scam, where they're just folks getting fleeced for Bitcoin until they figure out the base of mafia isn't real, they are people who are attempting to have someone killed. If this scam works, it's because they exchanged money with what they thought was a murderer for hire. They're lurking at the edge of this whole thing because for as weird as this is, it only works as long as there's a flow of people around the world who want this horrible, albeit imaginary, service. Look at it from another angle. Yura is in possession of a list of people who want to have someone killed. And Yura, yes, was a scam. But is getting scammed enough to stop a person who wants someone dead? Eileen wanted to raise the alarm on that part on those people. And at first, no one was really interested in hearing it. We started um, contacting law enforcement in the US, the UK and Australia, trying to, <laughs> trying to convince them that this was a real threat. That Not that the hitman site was a real threat, but the people that were paying the hitman site to have hits carried out were a real threat. Um, and, you know, the, the, the freakiest one that came out of that was we told the FBI about this woman, Amy Allwine, that someone had paid $13,000 to have a hit taken out on it. And, you know, we we're trying to trying to convince the, the FBI and, and people to take this seriously. And it was just all too hard. It was just so new, you know, a dark web hitmen, this is crazy, what are you talking about sort of thing. And um, we got hung up on a lot. So we kind of end up with three parties in all this. We've got the true crime writer, Eileen. We've got the fake internet hitman, Yura, who she was covering. And we've got all those people Yura was scamming who wanted to have a real person killed somewhere. And these three groups had kind of reached a balance. Eileen kept writing, Yura kept scamming, and new victims kept showing up. And law enforcement didn't care about any of this. You had husbands ordering hits on their wives, business partners looking to have their colleagues killed, a guy who lost a bunch of money betting on sports online trying to kill a customer service rep who wouldn't give him his money back and like a weird balance waiting for something to come along and knock it off kilter if you're paying really close attention right now you might be asking that last part the list of the real clients how did we know that the rest of this makes sense it's stuff the base of mafia either said or paid to have said about them but how do we know who actually hired them? And it's because, right at this point in the story, Yura and the base mafia got hacked. And we get to see even deeper into how this whole thing ticked. Right after the break. There is a dark web version of Quora called Hidden Answers. Just like a question and answer site like you've probably seen, but deep webby, totally uncensored. And the next big turn in this happens there. 
April 25th, 2016, when a paste bin link to a handful of files is posted by someone who claims to have hacked the Basin Mafia. It is a repository of emails sent to and from Basa at sigaint.org and a database broken up into two columns, orders and targets. What the client wants done and to who. We really were talking about people that were putting in orders that they, they thought it was a real site and they were putting in the, some of the most horrible orders, you know, acid attacks and murders and breaking bones and, and to read through all that. And to see, you know, they, they'd uh, send photos and details about the person that they wanted killed. There was a 14-year-old boy on the hit list that um, someone was going to go to court for grooming him and they wanted to kill him before they... You know, there, there's things like that that were going on. Yeah, it was it was really full on, these stories. So, um, and yeah, and then to just not be able to have any law enforcement take us seriously, or it, it, it seemed that no one was taking us seriously... Um, it was quite frustrating because, you know, they sort of thought these are real threats here. Folks were fleeced from between 5,000 and 20,000 US in Bitcoin. That was Bitcoin back in 2016, mind you. Here is a quote from a story Eileen wrote about all this, unpacking one of the attempted hits we learned about in that leak. This one in particular is going to come out later. Quote, One of the worst hits was a lady who wanted a hit carried out on a woman who, quote, tore my family apart by sleeping with my husband, who then left me, and is stealing clients for my business, and wanted it to look like an accident. Over two months, she transferred an initial 15 Bitcoin, then another 10, then another four. The transactions are visible on the blockchain, as Besa admin dished up excuses for the failure of the murder to take place. Besa was still working on her at the time of the hack. They had relieved her of approximately $13,000. There are thousands of these emails in this leak, thousands of these correspondence of folks desperately believing they were talking to and sending money to people who were going to kill folks for them. Throughout this whole thing, Eileen and that security researcher, Chris, had been trying to get law enforcement to give any kind of a crap about what was going on here. We started um, contacting law enforcement in the US, the UK and Australia, trying to trying to convince them that this was a real threat. That Not that the Hitman site was a real threat, but the people that were paying the Hitman site to have hits carried out were a real threat. But they were not having much of any luck. And then to just not be able to have any law enforcement take us seriously, or it, it seemed that no one was taking us seriously, um, it was quite frustrating because, you know, they sort of thought these are real threats here. So when this hack happens, Yura starts to get kind of scared, kind of stressed that maybe he's been exposed by this leak. Which is when you would think that Yura would have started to try to negotiate, to try and leverage the power of this list of wannabe murderers he has into some kind of a conversation with law enforcement. But interestingly, what we learn from this hack is that Yura had already tried. But he was also trying to keep his business going. And one way that he thought that he could keep his business going was um, if he started um, uh, telling me, telling police um, when there were threats that uh, he decided that he'd got as much money as he could out of the the would-be murderer, then he'd, he'd pass on the details to either me or to the police. Once the scam was done, once Yura had concluded that he'd tapped the well, gotten all the money he was going to get out of these folks... 
you're ahead one last step. You just straight up ratted on him. Using the email janeblondiesexy at gmail.com, he would reach out to law enforcement in the area where the victim lived and report the person who hired him. Here's one of those emails sent to law enforcement in Texas. Quote, We receive orders to kill people from all over the world. However, our site is fake and we don't have any hitmen. We forward the orders to police departments where the targets are located. We are a team of computer programmers living in Europe, and we made this website as a honeypot for criminals to fight crime and criminals. <laughs> so wait, is Yura the good guy? I mean, he's, he's no, he's no angel. He wasn't, he wasn't doing, doing this out of altruism. It was, it was all a money-making thing for him. No, no, Yura was not the good guy. Everyone in this story is, just kind of sucks. There's a reason we're talking about this story from around 2016 now, in 2022. And it's because of a development that happened this past April. Euro was almost certainly not the real name of the person Eileen was corresponding with. That much is clear. What is not clear is the point at which Euro expanded. Because in April 2022, well, I'm just going to read you the headline. Five men believed to be behind the web's most notorious murder-for-hire scheme, arrested in Romania. The video of the arrest that Romania's Directorate for the Investigation of Organized Crime and Terrorism posted online doesn't have an audio channel I can play you. But it's arrayed like any other. Half a dozen folks in tactical gear going into a particularly poorly kept basement apartment. They find a gun on a shelf, a weird big knife in a brown leather sheath, and some bedrooms which is when the footage blurs for confidentiality. The rundown building, doors knocked off their frames, has a handful of guys living in it. They're handcuffed, left facing down on the floor in the rooms where they're found, which is how the video ends. One of those guys is probably Yura. The Romanian police did the raid at the request of the United States Department of Homeland Security and the FBI, who say they have been investigating cases related to the Besa Mafia for years. Same law enforcement Eileen pleaded with to do something about this years earlier. The same law enforcement Yura had been contacting directly, saying, I'm a fake internet hitman and I have a list of people who tried to hire me. It's believed that uh, about 25 people who tried to hire the base of mafia were arrested over the years based on the info in those original leaks. Economic damages as of 2016 were about a half a million in euros. Um, the internet itself has made a lot of keyboard warriors and, and people that would never do things or say things that they would normally say. Um, but then with this added layer of protection that no, no one can, can find my IP address, no one will, could ever know who I am. Although you know, most of the way the people uh, put out the hits, it was pretty obvious um, to police that they were able to find out who placed those hits pretty quickly, um, except for the, the case of Amy Allwine. Somehow they didn't look at her husband, which was bizarre. <laughs> um, you know, the most obvious person um, who was in IT and had a basement full of computers. Um, yeah, somehow they didn't look at him. But uh, in most cases, it was pretty obvious who had taken out the hits. This is normally the part where I would wrap up, talk about what happened to Eileen, talk about what happened to Yura and everybody. But unfortunately, we have to end this one on a pretty big downer. The story about internet hitmen, because internet hitmen are 
pretty much always a scam has, you know, zero deaths in it so far. 30 plus arrests, a lot of money and Bitcoin shuffled around, but no actual murders. But there is one. And frankly, I didn't know where to put it. Didn't want to put it in the middle because it would have been a weird detour. Didn't want to open with it because it was confusing, but it's just been there the whole time lingering around the edge of this story. Because once you get past that thesis, that there are no internet hitmen, and you get through the story of the base of mafia and Yura using internet folklore of online assassins to fleece people, you get past all that stuff, you're just left with the folks who tried to hire him. Because in a lot of cases, getting scammed by an internet grifter from Romania isn't going to be enough to stop you if you want someone dead. It has to do with that case study I mentioned earlier, the one who reached out to Basa to kill the woman who stole her husband. The victim in that story, the real victim, not the person who tried to hire them, the person who died. Her name was Amy Allwine. And if we're looking for it, she's the actual victim in all this. And all this money and bullshit flying around and law enforcement taking an astonishingly long time to do something about this. She is who got hurt. So I'm going to play you what Eileen told me about Amy. And then I'm going to play the theme music. And then we're all going to go outside and enjoy the sun. Turns out the best reason to make a tech show is because real true crime is a pretty big bummer. This user by the name of Dog Day God had taken out a hit on a woman by the name of Amy Allwine. And Dog Day God and Yura had back and forth um, emails. So we saw every one of these emails, like uh, back and forth between the two of them. Um, and he'd paid, Dog Day God had paid like $13,000 worth of Bitcoin, um, told told Yura that um, he wanted, Dog Day God wanted this bitch dead because she had stolen my husband and my business. So he, you know, even in his interactions with Yura, he was trying to um, make up this, this story that it was a, a love rival. Um, Amy Allwine was, so he provided Facebook um, uh, info and photos of Amy. She was a, a, a suburban housewife, devout Christian, um, uh, trained dogs, didn't seem to have an enemy in the world. And so that one was really interesting and that was one of the, the main ones that we wrote about and, and told the, the, the FBI about. And so the FBI, FBI did, in fact, follow up on it, didn't, didn't tell us that they had, but they, we found out later that they did, in fact, go and visit Amy uh, and visited the local police and said, you know, there's, there's this... Um, a hit has been taken out on you. Do you have any idea who might want to do that? And she was like, well, no, I have no enemies. Um, I certainly haven't stolen anybody's husband. I'm a devout Christian woman. Um, no idea. And they didn't actually show her the emails. And then they sort of just left it and said, well, you know, and, and they, they interviewed her with her husband at the time. And um, they said, oh, look, put up a few more security cameras. Just watch out, you know. <laughs> that was pretty much it. Um, and so uh, then she started receiving emails telling her to kill herself, saying uh, there are hitmen out there, they're going to kill your family if you don't kill yourself. Uh, she sent those off to the FBI and they were still like, uh, you know, any idea? No, no idea. And uh, next thing we knew, she was shot in the head and apparent su suicide, but the local police that attended that apparent suicide um, very quickly picked up that it was not a suicide, that it was actually a murder. 
and um, you know it soon led back to being her husband. Uh, and the reason he wanted to kill her was he was also a um, devout Christian. They had a, um, a, a real Pentecostal sort of church, and he was a minister in that. And they, the church did not believe in divorce. And he was having an affair with someone that he met through the Ashley Madison website and um, he wanted out of his marriage and he couldn't get divorced. He couldn't be, stay a minister in his church if he, if he got divorced. So um, he decided the way out was to kill her. All right, so that was an episode of the podcast Hacked. If you have not listened to the show, subscribe right now. Do yourself a favor. It's a great show. It's one of my personal favorite discoveries that I've had recently. So check it out. And thank you, Jordan, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Creative Babble.